This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Hello again, everyone. This is Chip Brogdon coming to you with another edition of our weekly webcast. I'm streaming online at www.theschoolofchrist.org, and we are continuing our series of messages from the book of Acts. So grab your Bible and let's turn to the book of Acts. Uh, We left off last time in Acts chapter 4 about halfway through that chapter, so we're going to pick up where we left off last time. And as you turn in the Word, why don't we go to the Lord in prayer right now and ask Him to bless this teaching and bless this time that we have together. We thank you, Father, for the wonderful truths that are revealed to us in this book of Acts. We thank you that Jesus is building His church upon the foundation of Himself, and I thank you that He is gathering us together into a body of believers So, Lord, help us to see and to understand and to have wisdom and revelation into the pages of this powerful book. We thank you, Lord, for everyone who's listening and pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom, that uh, we could take these truths and not just learn them in our brain and then file them away as knowledge, but they would be spirit and life and truth and revelation to us so that we will better understand and better appreciate what it means to be a believer in the church that Jesus is building. I thank you, Lord, for your word and that your word is forever settled in heaven. So we praise you again and we thank you for this privilege that we have to study it, to learn it, to teach it, to proclaim it, to believe it, and to live it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Well, last time we left off in Acts chapter 4, uh, we'll begin this week in verse 23. And just to bring you up to speed, when we were last in the book of Acts, we were reading how Peter and John were addressing the Sanhedrin, and they had commanded them, saying, Speak no more or teach in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And so they they threatened them some more, but let them go and can find no way to punish them because they were afraid of what the people would say. So praise the Lord. That brings us to verse 23 of Acts chapter 4, and it reads, As follows, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Now, you may be familiar with that passage that they are quoting from Psalms, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Why did the nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing? And so we see here a, a, a depth of understanding concerning God's purpose and God's will. Uh, if you've been listening to, to my teachings for any length of time, you know that one of our primary themes is God's ultimate purpose and God's ultimate will, His, His desire and His, 
his purpose for all things, and it's nicely summed up in John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease. And that speaks of the increase of Christ and the enlarging of his kingdom. In Isaiah, it says that of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. But in the meantime, while Christ is increasing, you have all of these other elements in the universe that are resisting the increase of Christ. And David referred to this in Psalms chapter 2 when he spoke of the fact that the nations of this world would gather themselves together against the Lord and against his Christ. And if you go back in Psalms 2 and you read that, it basically says we don't want Jesus to be increased. We don't want to submit ourselves beneath the preeminence of Christ. And it says that he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. (laughs) Why? Because he must increase, therefore he will increase, and he is increasing. It's beside the point whether you agree with that, whether you believe that, Whether you understand that, whether you cooperate with it, or whether you resist it, it must be so, therefore it is so. It's an irresistible kingdom that we're talking about. So, they acknowledge that this, the beginning of persecution here, and at this point it's not even very, very severe at all. It's very mild compared to what will be coming down the road. But they begin to understand that... Because they are are taking a stand for the Lord. Because they are in the earth to bear the testimony of Jesus, they are beginning to understand that there are elements in this universe called Antichrist. Why is it called Antichrist? Because it resists God's purpose. It resists the fulfillment of God's will and His desire that Christ would have the preeminence in all things, beginning with us individually as disciples, and then with the church that Jesus is building, the synthesis or the gathering together of all those individual disciples into the body of Christ, and ultimately in all creation. It's God's will that all men would be saved and would come to the full knowledge of the truth who is Jesus Christ. And so... The the Old Testament talks about it in terms of the glory of the Lord. That the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And we learn in the New Testament that Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. And we can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So it's pretty powerful when you consider that... God's will, His purpose, His intention is for Jesus Christ to fill all things. It says in Ephesians 1 that He would gather together in one all things in Christ, both things in the heavens and things on the earth, even in Him. And He is able to subdue all things beneath His feet. So we've got some pretty powerful teachings along those lines if you really want to to study that in depth. But we see here in Acts the beginning of this resistance against the testimony of Jesus. They don't mind that they do miracles. They don't mind that they teach. But don't teach and don't do anything in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and in like manner today, people don't mind if you're religious. People don't mind if you go to church. People don't mind if you talk about God in some kind of an impersonal, universal spirit or deity. But you begin to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. You begin to give Him 
the place of preeminence, the place of ascendancy above all others, the place that God intends for him to have and the place that he does have in the mind and in the counsel and in the will and purpose and heart of God, you begin to give Jesus that kind of a place. And not only will the world not like that, elements within the church will not like that. They don't want Jesus to have the preeminence because they don't want to lose the preeminence. And that's been going on for 2,000 years. You can look in the epistles of John, 1 John and 2 John and 3 John, and it talks about the spirit of Antichrist. And it talks about Diotrephes, who loves the preeminence. See, that was a, a leader there in the church who loved the preeminence. And we've got a lot of that going on today. People, men, women, pastors, apostles, evangelists, prophets, ministers, popes, it doesn't matter what they call themselves, many of these people, they love the preeminence. And as a result, they don't give Jesus the preeminence, and they don't give him the ascendancy and the honor. Uh, they they try to claim something for themselves. And you begin to stand for the testimony of Jesus that says it's not your place, but his place that matters. It's not your church, but his church that matters. It is not your name and your title and your position that mean anything, but it is only his place and his will and his purpose that counts for something in the kingdom of God. You begin to have that kind of a testimony, and you're going to shake some people up. Well, it happened in the book of Acts. It's happening today, and if you've not experienced it yet, uh, then you probably are not truly representing the testimony of Jesus in all of its fullness. That's what we're trying to get you to. The fullness of the Lord. The fullness of God's thought. The fullness of His purpose concerning Jesus Christ. And when you see that and you begin to order your life around that, you're going to, number one, attract the attention of heaven because heaven will back you up. It's much easier to flow in a current that already exists than it is to try to get something to happen. We need to align ourselves with God's will and His thought. Instead of getting God to bless what we want to do, let's find out what God wants to bless and then do that instead. That simple little distinction has made such a profound difference in my life, and it'll make a difference in your life. You find out what God wants to do. Find out what His will and His purpose is, and then you order your whole life around fulfilling His purpose and His will. Two things are going to happen. First, you're going to enjoy the blessing and the anointing and the power of heaven because heaven's going to back you up. God will not refuse to bless anything that he has already determined and purposed ahead of time that he wants to accomplish. All you have to do is cooperate with what he wants. And that's what Jesus is expressing when he says, Not my will, but your will be done. That should be our daily prayer, our daily life. Your kingdom come and your will be done, not my kingdom and not my will, but your kingdom and your will. The second thing that, that will happen when you begin to do that is you're going to attract the attention of that spirit of Antichrist that is working in people all over the world. And it's not so much people out in the world. It's not so much sinners out in the street. They are attracted to Jesus. What they're not attracted to is religion, and that's where a lot of the animosity comes from because we have, the church has, 
intended to confuse a relationship with Jesus with a relationship to church and religion. And uh, rightly so, sinners out on the street, they know that there's a difference, or they, they know that the Jesus they want to believe in somehow does not line up with the, what religion is portraying. So if you can show them the difference between a relationship with Jesus versus a relationship with religion, then many people will give their heart to the Lord right then and there. Really, most of your of your opposition is going to come not from something out there in the world. They're not the problem. It's going to be elements within the church system, elements within that religious machine all those things about Jesus that are not Jesus himself. That's where you get most of your, your problems coming from. That's exactly the way it is here in the book of Acts. It wasn't the people that gave them a hard time. It wasn't the Gentiles that gave them a hard time at this point. It was the Jews, the religious leaders. Did not want them to speak or teach or do anything at all in the name of Jesus. And so they recognize this, they go to the Lord, and they lift up their voice in one accord to pray. In verse 27 of Acts 4, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. (laughs) See, God's purpose is going to be fulfilled. Even though people come against that purpose, he uses all things together for his good, for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. He's working everything according to the counsel of his will. So it it wasn't as if God had a plan, and then Adam messed it up, and then God had to go to plan B, and then he sent Jesus, and Jesus was crucified, so he goes to plan C. Now, all of this was determined ahead of time, And God is using even his enemies to fulfill and further his purpose. Stated differently, no matter how much you try to resist, God and his purpose and his kingdom are increasing. So praise the Lord. Verse 29, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. See, they were able to connect signs and wonders with the ministry of the word and with the teaching and the and the testimony of Jesus Christ. They didn't pray for signs and wonders and they didn't use signs and wonders as a way to build up their own personal ministry to get more people to enroll for their ministry partnership program. Not to have a news bite on Christian television to say, oh, look at all the signs and wonders that are happening over there. God's really doing a big work over there. Now, you hear some of that, and you have to wonder if God is really in all of that or if they are just kind of pumping that up to give the impression that God is there when maybe God's not there at all. Well, signs and wonders are simply tools through which the preeminence of Jesus can be revealed. That's it. It's not for my personal benefit, not for your personal benefit. It is for the benefit of God, for the benefit of His kingdom, and it, it 
they are intended to give us little little revelations, little snapshots, little illustrations of what life in this kingdom of God is like when Jesus has absolute authority and preeminence in a person's life. So, praise God. When verse 34, they prayed, and the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. See, being filled with the Holy Spirit is a continual process. It's not that you get baptized in the Spirit way back in 1962, and then, you know, you just kind of post that up on the wall, and you look at that date, and you think, well, hey, I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit 40 years ago. I'm dead as a doornail now, but I I got the Spirit. <laughs> no. To be filled with the Spirit, it's a continual process. It's simply abiding in Jesus him abiding in you, and then you are continually filled with the Spirit. Paul says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And that word be filled there in the original Greek, it's a continual action. It means be continuously filled with the Spirit. And throughout the book of Acts, you see that they weren't just filled with the Spirit in Acts 2, but the Holy Spirit filled them as they prayed or as they were preaching or as they were ministering that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's that's the normal Christian life to be continuously filled with the Spirit full of Jesus abiding in Him and Jesus abiding in us. Then verse 32 Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to what? To the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. See, they preached Jesus. They didn't preach, come join the church in Jerusalem. They didn't preach, we're starting a new religion, we're starting a new church, we're starting a new movement. They preached Jesus. With great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And that's why, quite frankly, God continued to bless them with His presence. He continued to bless them with signs and wonders to establish and to reinforce this testimony that Jesus is not dead. He is alive and He is present with us and lives with us and in us. I like what John had to say about it in one of his epistles. I think it's First John, towards the end of First John. He says, we know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. <laughs> See, it's not that we just know some things about Jesus. It's not that we just know the truth. We are in the truth. And how is that possible? John 7, or John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. That's communion. That's relationship. That's fellowship. That goes far beyond religion. That is a relationship with someone who is living, someone who is alive. And so that's what they preached. But more than that, that's what they lived. So verse 34, Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. Now, you know, there's a lot of talk today about going back to a New Testament lifestyle, primitive Christianity. Um, I wonder how many people are actually living like this. 
I wonder how many people actually get together in their house church on Sunday and <laughs> then they gather together all of their possessions and put them in one common fund and then they just pay people out of that. I'm sure that there are some who do that. I don't think it's a very widespread practice. I'm not suggesting that maybe that's even right for us to do today or that it's feasible or practical. I'm certainly not to the place in the Lord and I'm not comfortable enough in my relationship with God or with anyone else that I'm willing to take what little bit I have and pool it together with others. I'd probably come out better if I would do that. But uh, my point is, this is how they lived. I'm not... I'm not going to suggest necessarily that you're falling short if you're not living this way. They were communal people. It's what you have to understand about this house church movement and primitive Christianity. Everything they did and everything they do in the Middle East is centered around the home anyway. It's a very communal society. And to take something that was part of their lifestyle in first century Palestine and say that it's universally applicable to every generation and every place on earth I think that is taking it too far but what really the only principle you see here is they were filled with the spirit they preached Jesus and that they had a relationship with one another that was far deeper and far more powerful and more influential and more beneficial and simply more rich than what you and I probably are experiencing today. They had a grip on who they were in the Lord. They had love for one another. And as a result, they ministered to one another and they took care of one another's needs. Now, how you actually go about doing that, how you actually minister to one another in the context of a body of believers today may not look exactly the same as how they did it then, but the point is they love one another and Jesus says they'll know that you're my disciples not by what you teach not by what you say you believe but by the love that you show to one another and folks we are just we have just fallen short of loving one another we just don't love one another we don't we just we we do not love one another to the extent and to the degree that they did here in this book of Acts. By and large, we fall short in that area because we're so consumed with our own needs, with our own lives, and we we live in a society that is very individualistic, that is very closed off from one another. I just recently read something put out by George Barna about how the the trend in society is away from group activities. He mentioned bowling. That people just don't go out and bowl together the way they did 30 years ago or 50 years ago. But now I think most people are content just to kind of sit at home or sit in front of their computer and there's not so much interaction. That is That is a societal reality that goes beyond just church life, it affects and is affecting every area of social life. So it's something that we need to pay attention to. Uh, But I think the principle we take away from this book of Acts here at this point is they love one another passionately. They love the Lord Jesus passionately. And when you are in one heart and one mind the way they were, 
focused on God's purpose and living out your life according to that purpose and that plan and you're glorifying Jesus and you're giving him the preeminence, then you're going to love one another and you're going to have a depth of relationship with other people that, that you probably have yet to experience. Well, praise the Lord. And we're introduced to a person named Barnabas, verse 36, and Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, uh, Barnabas is going to be a significant character in this book of Acts as the story progresses and this is our introduction to Barnabas here in the book of Acts Uh, chapter 5 of Acts but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession and he kept back part of the proceeds his wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles feet so uh, some people they read this and they don't really understand what the big problem is well the the issue is let's say he sold his land for 5,000 pieces of gold I don't know let's just make up a number he sold his land for 5,000 pieces of gold and then let's say he put 2,000 of it in his drawer he was going to spend but then he went to the meeting and he says well I just sold my land for $3,000 and here it is and so what he did was deceptive and it was prideful and it was a way to make himself uh, out to be something that he was not. And so that there was a problem here. Uh, so verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So see, Peter is saying, you know, why would you sell the land for a certain amount, keep part of the money, and then say, here's all the money that I got for selling the land? When all you had to do, it was up to you to sell it if you wanted to sell it. And it was up to you if you wanted to give part of it, you could have gave part of it. But you kept it. And you gave what you gave, and you said it was the whole thing. And so there's an element here of deception. And that's what Peter discerns. And so, verse 5, Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. It's a nice way of saying that he died. He fell down dead. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. Now, I, I hear people say all the time, Well, brother, you can't judge someone's heart. You just can't judge someone's heart. Well, that's true. You can't judge someone's heart, but can't God give you discernment? You can't judge somebody's heart, but God can give you discernment and can give you insight into someone's heart. That's what he did for Peter. Right? And Peter did not judge Ananias. He simply spoke the truth that was revealed to him as a result of the discernment. So, uh, verse verse uh, 6, And the young men arose and wrapped him up, Ananias, carried him out and buried him. Now, it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her in verse 8, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. Verse 9, Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. 
Then immediately she, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. <laughs> well, I, I can imagine so. And if this were to happen today, I imagine great fear would come upon the church and everyone who heard about this story. But have you ever heard of this happening? Maybe every once in a blue moon. But I mean, is this really a common thing? I would say not. I, I would say thank God for His grace. Thank God for His mercy. Because if all the hypocrites dropped dead, I don't think there would be many people left, including me, including you, because none of us really measure up. All of us, at one time or another, have sinned the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. We have made ourselves out, particularly if you've ever spent much time in church, you have, you have at some point, maybe you're still like this, I don't know, but uh, all of us from time to time have wanted to give people a better impression of ourselves than really what we are worth. All of us from one time or another have made ourselves to be a little bit better than really what we are. And so... Thank God for His grace. Thank God for His mercy that He's not rewarded us as our sins deserve. Because we've all sinned here in the same manner, in the same heart, attitude of Ananias and Sapphira. So let's judge ourselves, folks. Let's stop playing games because eventually you're going to reap what you sow. Now, some people, they're judged right away, just like Ananias and Sapphira. But don't think that just because God judged them on the spot and they fell down dead and you're still walking around that you're any less guilty. Unless you repent, you also will perish, Jesus said. So let's repent. Let's judge ourselves so that we're not judged of the Lord. Let's get our relationship right with Him. And let's get our relationship with one another right. We don't need to be hypocrites. We don't need to pretend like we're something better than what we really are. Let's go to the Lord and let's be honest and let's confess our sins to Him. Let's pray for one another. Let's minister to one another. Let's love one another. And let's be real so that we don't fall into the same condemnation and judgment as Ananias and Sapphira. Well, there's your New Testament church life. How would you like to have that level of accountability? How would you like to have that level of responsibility? Well, that's the way it was in the book of Acts. So, praise the Lord. That's all the time that we have for this week. So, we'll continue with this teaching next week from Acts chapter 5. This is Chip Brogdon streaming online at www.theschoolofchrist.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. God bless you.